Ja pude kakao. Father in heaven, you are the exalted one. You are the only everlasting and holy God. The heavens echo of your praises. This hall echoes of your praises. You are worthy of all the worship we can offer and so much more. Even now you fill this place with life, with laughter, with children, the young at heart, all of us gathered from different directions in your name. Father, even now, you see the conditions of our hearts. Some of us rejoicing. Some of us apathetic. And everything in between. Father, it is apparent that we need your word. We would not have gathered here this evening if you didn't put it in us. How good, how fulfilling and sustaining your word is. So we ask that you would still us now. Still us with one single thought. Thoughts of you, Jesus, and you alone. Would you help us to see you tonight? To know your presence is real. Would we experience the holy and ever-living God in our midst right now? We are gathered here in your name, Father, to read of your word. Would you bring it to life now so that each of us would leave here changed, would leave here renewed? And anything that stands out, anything that we find joy in tonight, any bit that we understand, we know is a gift from you. What a beautiful gift that is. Help us to take hold of it and cherish it so that as we, as we carry on for the rest of this week, we would be encouraged, we would be surrounded by your protection, and that we would go in love. So we thank you, Father, for this moment of prayer. We thank you for bringing us here, and we thank you for letting us experience your word in fullness tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Okay, let's, let's spend some time in prayer, and then we'll get into this text together as a family. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for a gathering in the middle of the week to pause and come together, and uh, thank you so much for the flexibility of the family uh, to had canceled last week uh, kind of abruptly, and then to pick it up back again this week right now. Um, pray that you'd help me to serve well, to open up this text appropriately. Pray, please, that you, uh, we ask that you'd help all of us to come sit as Keiki and hear from your word tonight. We know that every time we open the Bible, there's an opportunity to experience supernatural. And so please, Holy Spirit, illuminate this text for us this evening. 
And even as we make observations as a family, as we study together as a family, as we listen to teaching and preaching and then reflect on things as a family, most importantly, we would respond accordingly. So thanks for our trek so far in the pastorate and this uh, study together. Um, Bless us, please, and keep, we ask that you would bless our leadership here in this church. And that all of us here in the, in the house would glean from these lessons as we take a nice long stare at what is the pastor and what is the pastorate and what type of men does the Bible say are to lead the church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And this is how families do church together. We do life together. All of us together at all the ages and spaces of life. All right, let me take us into these two verses. Okay? God, we ask for your spirit to awaken us to the reality of what's even happening right now. The church fundamentally, in and of itself, is a family. We are the family of believers. All of us here have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that you came, you lived, and you died, and you rose And you call all of us to look to you and trust in you. And you didn't merely just save us to save us, but you saved us and you're sanctifying us as an ohana. And you want us to learn to live well. And it just so happens that you've also given us wisdom and teaching as to the leaders, the men who are to embody this in the life of the church, that all of us might grow together in godliness. And so, God, we really want to read this and get it. We really confess that we don't fully get it, um, but our hearts here tonight want to more than, when we f- than ever before. So please bless us, bless all the keiki in the house and all the way up to, um, to our seniors, kapunas, and everyone in between, God. It's such a joy to gather as a family of God. So teach us what does it mean for the pastor to manage his household well. And help our pastors to do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, if I were to ask you what's the most important quality in leadership, I hope by now a third study through church leadership, you wouldn't say intellect or passionate personality. What's the most important quality in leadership? I hope you wouldn't say it's eloquence or administration. I hope if I were to sum it up in a single word, I would say it's integrity, right? For the Christian leader, for the pastorate, we kind of got more explicit on that. It's Christ-like character, right? As you think of the pastorate now, as you think of a pastor, you think Christ-like character. Um, Integrity, I like that word. It's his life. It's when his walk and his talk harmonize. That's integrity. You see, the life of a preacher, the life of the preacher gives life to his preaching. And a pastor must understand that integrity is going to be his greatest influence. It really is. It's not going to be anything else. A man's life and his doctrine, that's what Paul says. A man's preaching and his practice, that's what Jesus says. Now, when both of these witnesses, the pastor's words and the pastor's 
way when it harmonizes, when a leader's walk and talk are in sync, then he's able to truly pastor and help feed the shock, the, the, the sheep, not the shock. Uh, that's, that's sheep and talk at the same time. Um, but when his walk and talk do not harmonize, it's very harmful. It is very harmful. We saw two things so far. The personal holiness of the man and then his handling of the word. Now, if you really want to see if the man's personal holiness and his handling of the word line up, then you look at the next section we're in. You look at the house. Like, my father used to tell me this growing up, and I never really understood what he meant, but he would say, you know, boy, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their room. And he would always say that to me before he says, go clean your room. My father, maybe because he's Filipino, he taught me how to clean well. I am a clean freak. I like to clean. It's enjoyable in a strange way. But I remember growing up as a kid, he would always say, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their room. And I'd be like, okay, I have no idea what you mean there, Pop. And then he'd say, go clean your room. And now I'm starting to actually understand more than what that means, though. Like, if I really wanted to know, learn more about a person and about who that person is and how they function and really the heart parts of that person, you know, all we really need to do is go look at something that hits home. Go look at the house. Talk to the people that are actually closest to them, and you will get a better idea as to who and how this person really is. And I think it's brilliant that God says in his word for the pastor, the question is, how's his home life? How's his home life? That's a question though all of us can ask ourselves. Here's a question for us tonight. How is your home life? Like how is life with those in your household who you see all the time? Remember, we can all ask ourselves these questions. How is our service and love to those who are nearest to us? It just so happens, though, that for the pastor, this question is super, duper important. There's a question I ask myself. I have four questions in my preaching Bible. The first question that's there is, do you believe in what you're about to preach and does your life show it? That's the first question I always ask myself. Do you believe in what you're about to preach and does your life show it? Now, if you want to know, Chris, if you believe in what you're about to preach and your life show it, let me see your house. That's what this text is saying. So as we walk through this, again, we're going to look at to see, okay, if, we, if you want to assess the effectiveness of a pastor and his holiness and his handling, okay, now we're going to see practically, okay, go check out his household. That's really where the proof is. But as we walk through this, two ways I want to remind us to look at this. First is first for ourselves. Desire this character that we're about to study. I hope for the room to be filled of thoughts of those who are in our home tonight. And, when if, and if and when the word of God shows you that you have fallen short of managing your house well, loving and serving those in your family well, then in that moment, feel that conviction. Repent of that sin. And come to the cross 
and say, Lord, change me. You know, the Bible says that if we don't care for our own ohanas, our own families, we're worse than non-believers. So this is a message tonight for us to, I want it to go home with you. I want it to go home with you, literally. I want you to be thinking about your family members tonight, and not just your spouses or your children or your siblings, but your moms, your fathers, your grandmas, your grandpas, your uncles, your aunties. Those are the people that I've been praying for us tonight. And it just so happens that especially for the pastor, he must be exemplary in this. But that's one way I want you to think of that. And then the other way I want you to think of this as we walk through it is really pray, pray for us. Pray for your pastors. Pray for our homes. Because this is sacred scripture and this is a qualification that all of your pastors are to be held to. And any future men who aspire for the pastorate, listen up. Because this is serious. The Bible is clear. You can't do it there. You can't do it here. But oh, how often we have men in the pastorate who pastor everybody else but their own homes. That is a tragic fear I have for myself. So let's walk through this together. We're going to see three things. I'll give you them off the bat, and then we'll work through them. The first thing we're going to see is he is to lead his family well. That's the first thing. He leads his family well. The second thing we'll see is he leads well by being an example worthy of respect. He leads well by being an example worthy of respect. And the last thing we're going to see in Wobi Powell tonight is the household is the proving grounds for the pastoral ministry. The household is the proving grounds for the pastoral ministry. Let's work through this together. Verse 4. So it says he must manage, must manage. That was brought up already in observation time. It's a, it's a guarantee. It's a mandatory thing. It's to manage is a word of superintend or to preside over. Let me give you some more words if those words don't make sense. It's to guide or to be the protector. It's to be the guardian, the caretaker, one who rules, simply put, one who leads. That's this word picture. It's a heavy, deep picture of leadership. Now notice it says to care, take over. I love that Mel brought that up in observation. There's a sense of heart in management. Don't just think business um, savviness. He's got to be a business savvy guy and manage his household well. All the cups and everything got to be in order. That's not merely what it's talking about. I mean, he should have those skills. But think of the things you manage well in your life. What do you manage well? Some people manage their eating better than others. Some people manage their weight better than others. Some people manage their hobbies better. Think of the stuff that you just are really good at managing, caring for, taking care of. It's likely the things you care about the most. So for a man, when it says he must manage, don't just have that business picture. You've got to have a heart there. He cares. He leads with care. There's a heartfelt leadership in this word manage. And the pastor, the pastor, he must manage, he must care for, he must lead his own household. Notice it says his own, not nobody else's. He's not first here to correct everybody else in their living. He first needs to be a man who looks at his own house, his own personal family. Now, household is not just stopping at wife and children. 
in these days, it's anyone that's in your house. So if they had servants, if they had servants who had family, anyone on their property that they were expected to care over. So, you know, some of us, some of you thinking, young men are thinking, oh, college students are, oh, I'm not married, I don't have children. Well, you have roommates. Who's in your house tonight? Siblings, you have siblings. You have uncles, you have aunties. We have people in our care. You have pets. This is it, because you'll like that. Even my dogs matter in this text to me. They're a part of my house. Pray for my dogs. I do. Um, but, but what the text is saying, he must manage, he must lead with care his own family. And now I don't want to breeze over words. This is a rich one. Because does it say he just must manage his own household? No. What does it say? He must manage his own household well. Well. His own household, his own family, well. Coloss. That's a rich word. I'm going to give, it, give you the full definition. It means rightly. So you've got to do this right. Soundly. Correctly. I'm going to keep going. It's really deep. Beautifully. Excellent. That's the word. It's not just intrinsically good. Like it's not just he's got to have a, a good intention. But also aesthetically. His leadership has got to be beautiful. Here's the point. He leads his family well. Is another way of saying that is, what's the opposite of beautiful? Ugly. That's right. When you look at the man and the way he leads and cares for his ohana, is it beautiful or is it ugly? We know that it's very possible to lead ugly, right? We've all had leaders in our life who if you were to describe their leadership, it wouldn't be beautiful. <laughs> you see, everyone in the house is agreeing now. It wouldn't be excellent. You see, the pastor is to be a man who leads his family beautifully. The pastor in his home life. The people closest to him. He must not be like talkative in Pilgrim's Progress who says, He's a saint abroad, but a devil at home. He can't be that. We want to ask questions. How does he care? How does he lead his family? How does he talk to his wife? How does he treat his children? If you were to just observe, is it managed well or otherwise? Is it beautiful? Again, ask ourselves these questions. How are you doing at home? Are you managing, are you caring for those in your home well tonight? Or do you walk by your family members like they don't even exist? You see, something I pray tireless, tirelessly for my wife and my children, one of the prayers I pray, and you can adopt this prayer, I pray every day, may they grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men, and any favor you give me, God, with my wife and my children, 
help me to use that favor, favor and steward it well and, and use it to help them excel and progress emotionally, spiritually, physically. Like, my life, if I'm leading and managing well, anyone who follows me, they're going to excel. They're going to be blessed. My household is to get the first fruits of my devotional life. The first fruit, not the seconds and thirds. You got to pray for us. You got to pray for me. We can't be rolling in the garage and then we see our children and we interact with our spouses or we see our family and we had a full day of carrying over everyone, all these other souls. And then when we got home, we got nothing for you guys. Just where's my food and where's my TV? That's not going to cut it for the pastorate. And that ought not to cut it for the Christian. You know something that's interesting about this word, kalas, or well? It's the same word used in Matthew 5.16 when it says to the Christian, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good deeds, your good deeds, your good works, your kalas works, your beautiful works, and glorify the Father in heaven. All of us are called to manage those around us well. The first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the greatest is this. Love your who? Your neighbor. You know what's interesting? If I were to ask you, Christian, okay, who are the neighbors in your life that you're called to love? You know what's crazy is a lot of the times, most of us, I wouldn't be surprised if the first people you think of is not your what? Your family. We'll think of the next door neighbor immediately. We'll think of the coworker. We'll think of our boss. We'll think of this person, that person. But it's crazy. We skip our very own house. The pastor could be the first person to do that. You know, your household, my household, God has given you a home, a family, or even if you have roommates or just people that live in your proximity, that's your household right now. That is your immediate neighbor. And to bypass them is to disobey the greatest command. When we hear love our neighbor as ourself, I pray that in our church, oh, I pray that in our church, the first individuals that would come to our minds is our family members. If you've been coming to New Honor Baptist and growing in your own spiritual life, you know what should be a byproduct of that. Your household, your home, regardless of who lives there, regardless of their faith background, regardless of how brother, sister, auntie, uncle, mommy, dad treats you, is they ought to be loved well. They ought to be led well. They ought to be loved better. This is Christianity. And the pastor is to be first and foremost leading off in this. It's a, it's a strange thing to me, I wondered to myself, why, why do we, th- and, it, and it, maybe it's, it's this thinking, we just, oh, they're family, I mean, of course I love them. Oh, yeah, they're my fa- I mean, I, I'm going to always love them. They're family. And maybe, maybe we take that to an extent where because they're family and because they're always going to be there and we're always, they're always going to love me back, we use that as a justification to treat them less or not manage them well not care for them well, this is a big thing. 
This is a big thing. You know what's interesting? In the fall, go back to the fall, after the first sin, which was what? They bit the fruit. They rebelled against their creator. What was the second sin recorded after the fall? What was it? I heard someone say it. Murder. And where did that murder happen? In the home. Am I my brother's keeper? We are so fallen, family, that we are prone to not love the people nearest to us, namely our family. Is it not true that the hardest people to love at times is your family? Is it not true that the hardest person to manage and lead and care for well is your very own spouse or your children or your mom or your dad? It's not surprising because the Bible is very clear about it. That's one of the conditions of our fallen nature is we, we get to start here. How's your home life? How is it? That's a big indicator. It's a big test as to really where your heart is at. And you see, the pastor is to be a man who is to model this. It would be an absolute tragedy for me if I, in my ministry here at church, would pastor and care for everyone else but my very own children and my wife. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I hope you would see that as a tragedy. That's a great fear I have. And that is something this text is very explicitly coming after. He must manage his own household well. So let us not, family, assume that we are loving our families well. Ask yourself questions tonight. Think about it. Like, really think. How much oversight and care have you given for your parents recently? Or your brothers? Or your sisters? Siblings in the house? Your nephews? Your nieces? If you're a Christian and you're part of that household, that's your kuleana. That's your first neighbor that you get to practice being a Christian on. So please hear the word, love them well. And to all our pastors and aspiring pastors, look at this. This is where it begins. Now he goes on to describe this. He leads his family well, and then he, he gives a little bit more meat to it. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, with all dignity. These are big words. I'm so glad we're going slow. Pasenotes. All, with all, that's pas, the whole, and then dignity is this. It's the characteristic of a person who's entitled to reverence, okay? So it's, a, it's the characteristic of a person who's entitled to reverence. Another way of putting it, it's a person who has respect, honor, and propriety. Their, their, their befitting behavior is respectable. In other words, the man carries himself in such a way that he's respected, by those under him. That's dignity. That's with all dignity, with or without a title. I had, growing up, I played ball, played soccer, and I had quality coaches. I love my soccer coaches. I, I just, 
there's a number of them that come to mind when I think of this because I'm one of those players, like if I didn't respect the coach, I made it obvious. But I had so many good coaches that there were there was a handful of coaches in my life that they carried themselves, they led with such dignity. Like there were things that they said, they had idiosyncrasies about them and the way they were on and off the field that for me as a player, I just respect. I just respected them, hands down. I remember I had a coach once and he was like, I think I was like 11 years old. And he, he was talking to us about, you know, because some of us came late. And he's like, your coach will never be late for practice. And we're like, oh. And he's like, you know why? Because I respect you. My punctuality, you know what punctuality tells me? Punctuality is me telling you I care, value your life. I think you're worthy of my time. So I'm not going to waste your time, players. I'm going to be here early and on time. And I don't know about you, but for me as an 11-year-old soccer player, I'm just like, wow, it's kind of deep. And I'm just like, I'm never going to be late again. You know, like, but, but that stuck out of my mind as like, I never thought to think that punctuality is a way of telling someone, I care about you. I remember I had a coach who anytime he would always talk about team, 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 and if we win as a team, we lose as a team, and all that kind of cliche-ish stuff. But then, you know, whenever we would suffer, whenever we would, because um, if we had made, we made consequences where if we did, if we performed at a certain level in a game, we, it would show us how much we have to run after. So if we were under par, we'd run this much after. If we were really under par, we'd run that much. And you know what's crazy is most coaches that I've had is the players would just run. This coach would run it with us. And I remember thinking, and he's old. And I remember thinking, coach, why are you running? And he's like, I'm not part of the team. And I was like, oh. You know, there's just certain things. I remember a coach, um, and, and he would take us out to uh, dinner late night after and stuff. But the way that coach was, he was just so, he was just such a manly leader. And you just, on the field, he's like one of those guys, like, that guy's top notch. But then, you know, what's crazy is when we're at the diner, he was just as top notch. He was such a gentleman. Like, from his posture to the way he spoke to people, like, the way he treated, like, I just remember as a kid looking at that guy thinking, just respect. There, there are things about leadership when you do it with all dignity. And, and, the, and, like, these coaches that I'm thinking of, I remember so many times in the truck or in the, the van after the, like, this one coach, I'll tell you another one. I had a lot of good coaches. Um, we just came back from traveling. This is in college. And we, we traveled, we played, we finished the tournament, we're heading home, we're in the bus, and all the boys, we're all talking about what we're going to do, because it's kind of like, it's like 7, 8 o'clock, like, oh, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do that. And then I remember one player in the front of the bus sitting next to Coach, he's like, oh, Coach, so yeah, we did good out today. And they, well, they, he didn't talk pigeon, this is, I didn't, I spoke pigeon, he, this is in the mainland, this is in Indiana, so he's like, you know, American Brit. Hey, coach, what are you going to do tonight? You know, it's very, very proper. And, and I remember the coach looking back at him, and he's like, oh, coach, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go home and cook dinner for my wife. And, and then he said it like it was nothing. But for me as a young person who just looked at this leader and the way he carried, and just things came out, it was just such, with such dignity that it just caused me to like, you tell me to run, I'll run. If you tell me that's my position, that's my position. You see, leadership with all dignity 
has its way of carrying themselves in such a way that they don't need to domineer and make people do what they want them to do. I want us to see this about he must lead with all dignity and then the connection between keeping his children submissive. Because think about this. If a man leads his household with all dignity, he is loving and serving and caring in such a way that those in the house under his care respect him, does he need to force and strong arm and iron fist people into submission? Likely not. No, why? Because he's won their hearts. He's won their trust. How did he do this? Here's the point. He leads well by being an example worthy of respect. That's how he builds that dignity. Dignity isn't something you just go and buy off the, you know, you just get it from getting a title. I'm the pastor now, so follow me. It's not how it works. It's not how it works in family. It says that he is to lead with all dignity, not with all domineering. When a leader needs to resort to that, to pushing, to forcing, to keep those under him following, that is not leading with all dignity. This word echo, to keep, it's an interesting word. It means to possess, to belong, to have the experience of technon, children, offspring, your descendants, submissive. They're going to subject, obey, and follow. Now, the father must exercise authority to discipline disobedience, but he must do it and have the wisdom to do it in such a way that he's not exasperating or provoking the child. That's Ephesians 6.4. See, to discipline with dignity and to love in such a way, to lead in love in such a way where it makes following and submitting yourself a delight, that is a quality. That is a, that is a gift and it's a skill. And it's something the pastor ought to hone in on. These are huge. We want our keiki to see the blessing in obedience. And we'll all, does this mean that the pastor's keiki got to be perfect? And absolutely not, because no keiki are. All keiki are sinners. All of us have sinned and gone astray. But their hearts, if they're led well, they're going to be shaped to trust and submit. They will receive correction and admonition from their fathers because they favor them. They fear them in a healthy way. See, acquiring dignity and reaching a state of respectability or a worthiness of honor, it doesn't just come with a title, guys. It's earned over a period of time. Example after example, deed after deed. You don't get respect by force. Respect's given to you. And in leadership, when you lead with all dignity, that is something you will be given. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is talking to the elders, and he says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. This is not how pastors are to manage their homes or the church, by strong arming. By preaching and teaching and talking down on you in such a way, if you don't take my advice, you're in sin. That's not how to lead our homes. That's not how to disciple our children. That's sure not how to disciple the church. He says here, this is how he tells the pastors, the elders in this church, he says, but be an example to the flock. You see that? So how does he lead well? Well, the way my coach was doing it. He was an example to us. He didn't just tell us to act like gentlemen. When we were out, he was a gentleman. He told us and he showed us again and again and again and again all season. So I had nothing but respect for the man. See, he leads well by being an example worthy of respect. The pastor is to be filled with men who've won the respect of the flock by their example. That's why last, last time's message, right? The pastor teaches first with his life, then with his lips. And this characteristic is first built at home. Last thing and we're pow. So he moves into verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's not difficult to understand, right? We see the train of thought there. If he can't do it there, then he can't do it here. But here's the last point, and we'll be done for the night. The household is the proving grounds for the pastoral ministry. The household is the proving grounds for the pastoral ministry. Not know how. That's a marker of a question. It's, a, it's an unsure of a reality. He doesn't know. He doesn't perceive. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get. He doesn't know what it looks like to lead with all dignity. So therefore, he does not know how to manage. And therefore, he can't care for the church. You see the argument Paul is trying to pull. Like, okay, if brother can't do it at home, then what makes you think he can do it in the church? And the local person would say, oh, no can Right? But here's something I want us to see in this. Is that the church is not merely a business organization. It's an organism that has family business. The members aren't just numbers on a roll. We're not just workers trying to get this wheel moving here at New Uanu Baptist Church. This is a family. This is why it's so critical that the pastor understands that he, he knows how to care for a family. Because this, if you're going to go into pastoral ministry, you're, you're signing up to care for a family. And I don't say the word family in this like warm, fuzzy, like, ohana means family. Oh, you know, like not, not in a warm, fuzzy, sentimental feel. Like, think about it. It's a family with family matters. It's dirty. It's gritty. It's difficult. We're ohana. We'll step on each other's toes. We will get in each other's messes. It's, it's going to be family. Beautifully, gloriously difficult. <laughs> it just, oh, 
That's, I mean, that's family, right? For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. That is a family. So when a couple makes their vows, when Kaleo and Tani make their wedding vows, they are becoming family. And there's a deep, rich meaning in that. We are a household. And the pastor has got to get that. I want to marvel at this a little bit, preach a little bit on it. Because it's no small thing, guys, to be a part of the household of God, the family of faith. You know, 1 John 3 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we, sinful people, should be called children of God. You know what that means? We're in the family. And he's saying, just look at that. That's crazy. You got to see what kind of love. That is that you and I, I don't know about you. When's the last time you were just so blessed that you're part of this? And I'm not saying just this new one Baptist. I mean the church, the universal church. You're part of the family of God. That's a wild concept. You know, in Acts 20, verse 28, when Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves in the flock in which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers of. And then listen carefully. He says, you're overseers to care for the church of God. And then he describes the, the church, the family, which he obtained with his own blood this is a this is a thick bloodline this family a word to the pastoral team and those aspiring notice how paul describes to the elders what the family is it's not just oh it's a family no it's a family that's been obtained by the blood of christ it's the bought blood bride of christ that's so huge what do you see when you look at each other? When I pray through the, the, the New Uwanu Baptist directory and I look at all your faces and your pictures, which you got, some of you got to update, by the way, because um, some of your photos, it's like, hey, who's that? Because that's not you. you know? And some of you who did update, I'm kind of bummed you did because I liked your previous picture. Uh, it's kind of funny. Um, Pastor Johnny had this mug shot. <laughs> and then he just recently updated. I was like, oh, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. But, you know, when, I, when I'm praying through the, the, the photo directory, and we're looking at each other's faces. Please don't miss out on the marvelous grace of what that is. You know what you see? Like we're blood-bought people. We're family. This is forever. This, this transcends and surpasses all the dramas we're going to go through in this life. Like we are a family. It's the same way when I go home and I look at my, my son and my daughter and my wife and I look at them. I'm like, that's my ohana. And when they hurt, I hurt. When they succeed, I succeed. When they're dealing with something, I'm dealing with something. And if you're going to be a pastor, you're stepping into just a bigger realm of that. The pastor must understand these things. Because this is not just, you know, oh, if you show up, then right on. And if you don't, then right on. And you know, as long as you do your job here and let's just keep this wheel spinning, as long as I have X amount of people in my church, you're not just a bunch of digits. You're not numbers on a roll. You're the family of God. That's why it makes me sick when I speak to pastors and they talk about their, the church as if it's just that. Oh, I only have this many people in my church. What? That's your family. That's the family of God. I love pastoral ministry, if not for the people. What? You see, it's so 
fundamentally important that the pastors understand this because the pastor must be a family man. Pastors are family men. And so that's what we are. We like blood and hanabaras and stuff like that. We're down for that. You know your pastors love you. You know what I enjoy about a pastor's meeting? Is when we're talking about a family or someone who's hurting or someone who's going through cancer. I look at Pastor Bob and Johnny's faces and they wince. It hurts them. They're grieved. When we find out someone's succeeding and someone got a job or someone got a, they're happy. Why? Because they see you as family. They see you as the blood-bought bride of Christ. That's what this is. You see, the family here, every soul, every member matters. You belong because of what Christ has done for you. Never lose the joy of that. See what kind of love. Just be jazzed. You're part of this. And pray that you always have pastors in your life, that we, our children, always have pastors in their life who will love them like that as family. They're very old. You see, the leaders in the church must be family men. So for those of us who are aspiring or when we start to bring names to the table, church family, and, and men start to get, you know, maybe they're going to be an elder in this church, this is one of the things you can, you can look at. Is he a family man? How does he treat his wife? How does he talk about his in-laws? All those things are important for us to hone in on. See, church, when we think of the pastor, we got to think rightly. We got to think biblical. We got to think Christ like character. We got to think Christ like preaching and teaching. And we got to think family man. He's a family man all the way. Please weigh this to heart, church, because it's only by God's grace that is poured out upon your pastors. That he has, he has given us a heart thus far that we want to commit to a community of people and serve and pray and love and manage well through all the ups and downs. To gladly spend and expend ourselves for your lives. I aged one more year this week. One more year as a person, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, you know, the birthday cards that mattered most to me that I wanted to read most carefully was the ones from my wife and my children. You know, God knows. I want to be better. I want to be a more holy husband. I want to be a more biblically faithful father. And I know this, that out of the overflow of that, I will be a more persevering and passionate pastor to all of you. I spent half my life serving in some form of church leadership, 11 of those years full-time in the pastorate, and there's still so much more that I've yet to learn. There's so much more I want to grow in that I need to grow in. And here's what the text is te teaching us tonight, that it's going to start in the home. My care for my family will be the proving grounds and the pruning grounds 
of my continued growth and development as a pastor in ministry. It is it's the stomping grounds of discipleship, guys. So, so how's your home life? How are we doing, church family? You want to see if you're growing in your discipleship? Start in your house. Start in your home. If there is people in your household right now that you're at conflict with, you're at odds with, may I plead with you tonight to go to the Lord and humble yourself and repent of your wrongs and go to the cross and beg for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you in a fresh way and go manage that well. May I plead with you to do that tonight? And as we pray, as we close in prayer, may I ask you to pray for your pastors here and the pastoral team to be. If, if, if Jesus don't come and take us home soon, and if our church carries on another 80 years, imagine with us for a little bit that we all as a church family get to participate in building a pastoral team that is filled with Christ-like, God-fearing, Word of God handling family men. They don't need to be pretty. They don't need to be polished. They don't need to be whatever. But these are the men that we know. That's our leaders. They love Jesus. And it's evident in their lives. And it's evident in their doctrine. And oh, I would love to bring my friends to sit under that teaching and leadership. You know, our leadership thus far in our church has really been blessed. And I do believe it's so much because of the prayers of the church. And so all we're doing now is adding a little bit more knowledge and, and scripture to those types of prayers. I'm sure, Pastor Bob and Johnny, I, I can't speak for them, but how, how encouraging of a church family we have here. Your guys' words carry so much weight. And your concern, your care, use what God is teaching us now to know how to, to care for your leaders. Be responsible for your leaders. Let's do this together. One of the things, even another way to pray, um, we're closing already, but another way to pray is as we're working through our bylaws and stuff, pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom of to, to putting in policies that can help support and protect the future pastors and their home life. You know, we can, we can get creative as a church family and figure out how to apply this. Because, oh man, how many times have we heard before of pastors or men in ministry who some, some sort of scandal or unfaithfulness happens because home life is not cared for and assessed. Let's not be a church who fosters that but works against that. So in closing, how's your home life, guys? Are we loving and leading well? I want to close by, um, we're going to close in a song, but before we sing, um, I want to ask that right now we just leave some space to look at this, and, and, and I do, I'll lead us in the prayer. We're going to pray for our pastors. We're going to pray for Mel and Gail and um, Sam and, and the children and the grandchildren, but what I also hope to pray for tonight is let's, let's just pray for all our households. Let's pray for all our homes that his kingdom come, his will be done. Amen. So let me go ahead and just open us in prayer. 
And in the space, while the team is coming up to lead us in a closing song, um, let the Spirit of God lead you to praying for your house and ours. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you so much, Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the grave victoriously and then inviting us to trust and repent and trust in you and then welcoming us into the family of God. And in this ohana, you have seen it fit that you would put leaders, shepherds, pastors, to lead with all dignity. And one of the qualifications of this is that they must be men who manage their homes well. So Father, this evening, in this moment of silence, show us how to pray for our pastors and their families. So church, all sorts of prayers, just for a moment, please pray specific prayers for your pastors and their households. Go ahead and do that. Father, on behalf of the pastoral staff, we confess, Lord, that we fall short in many ways here. We have not managed our homes the best, or there's areas that we could do better, we could manage better, and we pray that you would help us in those areas of weakness, that you'd mature us. We pray for our relationships with our wives first, God, that you'd help us to love them as Christ loved the church. And if we have fallen short in any way, we pray that we would confess that and bring that to the cross, that you'd repair and restore. If we've not kept our children submissive and if we've not led them in such a way where they are growing and loving to grow in obedience, Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us. If we've not faithfully shared and taught the gospel and the word of God to our very own homes, if we're lacking in devotional life, help us, Lord. Father, thank you so much for giving us pastors in this church. Grant more grace because we need it. And lastly, church, in this moment of prayer, pray for your own house now. Pray for your household, whatever that looks like, whether it's roommates or um, siblings or, or a whole house. Pray for your family and pray that, the, that God would help you to manage that well to love and lead in the ways you can well there. So go ahead and do that. So King Jesus, as we sing to you now, as we lift our voices, remind us that we are part of the family of God. And thank you ultimately being for our good shepherd, the head of the house, 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Shepherd us, we pray, good shepherd. Help us, we pray, to manage our homes well. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Glory be to him.